Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Well, good morning, Liquid Church. My name is Peter. I'm the campus pastor in Nutley, as Pastor Tom said, but it is so great to be here in Morristown with you guys. And for everybody that's uh, tuning in on the big screen down there in New Brunswick, in Nutley, in Church Online, or in our new campus in Mountainside, we want to welcome you guys today. So today we're in week two of our series called Crossroads, and we're taking a look back in order to know how we go forward. You know, at some point in time, we all face a crossroads decision in our lives where we have to answer the question, what are we going to do? You know, it may be the question of like, should we move? Should we stay where we are? Should I take a new job? Should I start a new career? Uh, you know, should I, should I continue to date this person? Should I marry this person? Like, where in the world are we right here in those decisions? Should I go back to grad school? You know, all of those decisions can be incredibly scary because they are at a point where we need to make, we need to make up our minds. Do we go left or do we go right? And, and so it's, we have to answer the question, what do we do? You know, in Jeremiah 6, verse 16, it says this. It says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the, at the what? At the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. In your notes, you'll see that that's the first fill-in. It's crossroads. You know, Jeremiah is saying, he's reminding us to stand at the crossroads and to look in our rearview mirror. So you've heard it said that 20, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty vision. Well, we need to check back. We need to be looking backwards in order to know how we go forwards. But moving forward can be incredibly fearful, right? I mean, it can be really dicey. Life can throw some incredible curveballs our way. Men, how many of you remember um, the first time your wife was pregnant? Okay, good. So women, I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. For nine months, I know you had it rough, for nine months, we slept with one eye open and one closed because we were afraid you were going to kill us in our sleep for what you did, for what we did to you. And, you know, I'm just saying, I'm just letting you know, like, that's a fear we had. No, but seriously, you know, think about the whole pregnancy thing. You know, when you're, when you're giving birth, when you're, you know, that baby is growing and forming, every movement, every little thing, every little, you know, pain is carefully calculated, and you worry about that. It's a scary thing. Or how about when you start a new job? You go out into the work world, and you try and, you know, land a new career path, and you open those double doors, and you walk into that office, and the first day you go, what am I doing here? Do I have what it takes? Are people even going to like me? Am I going to have friends here? Am I going to succeed? Do I have what it takes to succeed? And all of those things can be incredibly scary. You know, when I was a kid, I lived on Long Island. That's where me and my family lived as I was growing up. And, you know, here's some pictures of me as a little boy. Not, not quite sure what that one's for. Um, you know, not, why, not sure why I'm in the bathtub there, but thanks, Pastor Tom. Uh, you know, but anyway, so that's me when I had hair, um, technically still have it, just, you know, didn't shave it back then, 
although that could have been a good look. Uh, and then in the middle here, that's me and my dad and my two older sisters. We're actually hanging out on the steps at our church where my dad was the pastor. Uh, we used to hang there in, in Belrose. And then uh, on the other side is just me and my dad. We're just sitting in a chair, and, and I love that picture because, uh, you know, it's just it's just the father's heart, right? He's sitting there reading to me, and uh, I'm totally digging it, eating it up, you know, being on daddy's lap and, and loving that. Uh, but, you know, like I said, I love to spend time with my dad, and we would do all kinds of things. We would go on bike rides. Uh, you know, we would, we would hang out together. We would play wiffle ball in the driveway. And then one of the things that I love to do is we would go down, uh, downtown, uh, down New York City, and, and he was the first person that introduced me to luxury cruise lines. I mean, I just have a, bo- I have a love for boats now because of my dad. And so he introduced me to this thing. I'll let you in on this secret. Uh, it's called the Staten Island Ferry. Uh, I'm not sure if many of you have been there, but that's about as fine of a transportation as you can get. And so, you know, we would go down, we would hop in the blue Volkswagen Vanagon and head downtown and jump on the ferry just to go for a ride, just because I was a little kid that loved boats. And so, you know, we would do that, and I would remember climbing up and saying, Dad, I want to see, I want to see. And so he would pick me up, because I have, to, I have to tell you, there's a lot to see in the Hudson River. There's, like, all kinds of different trash floating by. You know, every now and there's the occasional tire. I don't know. I mean, but as a kid, I wanted to see it. I wanted to see the hull cut through the water, and as the white water was pouring over on itself. And so my dad would lift me up and hold me in his arms, and I would lean out over the rail, and I would look at everything below. Now, as I did that, I'll never forget the time when he leaned out a little bit as well. And all of a sudden, I felt like Michael Jackson's kid being held out over a balcony. And I was like, ah, dad, don't let me go. And I gripped him and I I pulled in tight. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, Peter, I will never let you go. And to be honest with you, that was, my first, uh, that was my first understanding, my first picture of who God is. A father that loves me, whose strong arms I could go to, and I could trust him. You know, earlier this summer, my wife Tiffany and I, we headed down to the Outer Banks, to North Carolina, uh, for family vacation. And so where we stay is, it's called Avon, and there's a, a fishing pier right in the heart of Avon there. And so um, Tiffany and I and, and the kids, we love to walk out on that fishing pier, love to see what everybody's catching, love to be kind of further out in the ocean than, than normal. And uh, near the end of our vacation, Tropical Storm Andrea uh, blew through, and as she came in, she brought with her eight to ten foot waves. Now, these aren't like waves you're going to go like boogie boarding on. You're not going to go out there, you know, and swim. These are the types of waves that will like really, you know, they could do some damage. So these are huge, girthy waves. And from the safety of the beach, we're looking at them just start washing through the pier. And the pier is beginning to go kind of left to right and side to side. And and these big waves are just crashing in, in on it. And so, you know, as a responsible, fully grown man... I decided that the best place for me to be was all the way out on the end. And so I said, you know, who else needs to come with me? So I was like, you know what? My six-year-old daughter should probably be out there. (laughs) What? You know, right? So I I grabbed Grace by the hand. You know, here she is over there in the side. And I grab her by the hand. I'm like, hey, let's go. Let's go for a walk down on the pier. And she's like, okay. 
and she had no idea what she was in for. And so we start walking out towards the end of the pier, and the wind is just whipping by. Her hair is not straight up. It's like sideways. And uh, so we're walking all the way out there, and finally I pick her up, and I wanted her to see just the incredible power that these waves had. And so I kind of do one of these, like, and she immediately goes, Daddy, don't let me go! And then I thought, what's with us dads anyway? Like, come on. I mean, seriously, we got a problem. But, you know, I mean, like, what was it for you? What was one of those things that, uh, you know, it totally, it changed the way that you look at everything? You know, what was something you went through that was so frightening, so scary, that you will never look at life the same way? You know, maybe for you, it was a car accident. You got out of that wreck, and you walked back, and you just looked at it and said, I can't believe that I walked away from that. Or maybe for you, it's, uh, it's that illness, it's that sickness, it's that pain that the doctors, they don't even know what to call it. They, don't, they can't treat it. And, and you've gone through the PET scans, you've gone through the MRIs, the CAT scans, you've had the blood work, you've had every nurse and doctor possible bounce you from specialist to specialist. And because of that, it's forever changed the way that you look at life. Or maybe it was a liquid water trip. You were in Haiti, El Salvador, or Nicaragua, and you'll never look at a glass of cold water the same again. Because as the perspiration drips down the outside of that ice water, you think back to the perspiration dripping down your forehead. You know, life has a way of changing the way that we look at other things. You know, moments like these cause us to shift our view. We look through a lens and we see God in a new and in a fresh way. But these moments aren't new. In fact, they've been around for centuries. They've been around for thousands of years. You know, our grandparents had them. Their grandparents had them. You know, it was the same type of problems, just a different circumstance in a different time period. You know, there was a man whose perspective was forever changed. And it was because of an encounter that he had with God. And his name was Abraham. See, Abraham's story is found in the book of Genesis. You can open your Bibles to page 14, and that's going to be Genesis chapter 22. You know, I love Genesis. I love the stories in Genesis, but I also love the fact that it's the, it's the easiest book of the Bible to find, right? You just kind of open it up. There's no need to be doing one of these numbers. It's, it's right there for you. Uh, and so, you know, turn to Genesis uh, chapter 22 on page 14. And in Genesis, we see the beginning of God's story. We see how God begins to reveal himself to the world around him. And it's, it's such an exciting story. You know, one of the people that we meet here is Abraham, and Abraham is one of the great heroes of our faith. People for centuries have loved to tell the story of Abraham, and they've loved to hear the story of Abraham. You know, God, in Genesis chapter 12, he speaks to Abraham, and he says two things. If you're taking notes today, you can fill these in on the first page. The two things that God says to Abraham are, number one, you're going to move, and number two, you're going to have a baby. Now, both of these things happen, but this isn't just any kind of birth. This is a miraculous birth. This is a miracle baby. See, God provides this son to Abraham and Sarah when they were 100 years old. I mean, 100 years old. How crazy is that? You know, it was, they named him Isaac because 
it actually is kind of funny if you think about it. In, uh, Isaac in Hebrew means laughter. And so check this out. Genesis chapter 21, verses 5 through 6. It says, Abraham was 100 years old when his, his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears of this will laugh with me. And she added, you know, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. I mean, let's, let's be honest here. Like, how funny would it be if a hundred-year-old woman walked in and she, ha- and she was pregnant? It would kind of be like seeing Betty White with a baby bump. I, I mean, like, the Colbert Report would have a field day with this. You know, it would, it, Twitter would be, like, all aglow. Hey, Betty White, baby bump, hashtag crazy. You know, I mean, it would be something to speak about. But this was Abraham and Sarah. This was the family that they had finally been waiting for. They had been longing for this, and it was here. Now, Abraham and Sarah were able to experience all the joys of of raising kids, right? So they watched as as Isaac took his first steps. They heard the first words that he said. They watched as his mind began to imagine and explore the world around him. They were normal, ordinary parents like you and me. But one day, when Isaac turned about 15, everything changed. Everything stopped being normal and moved into this other place. You know, I have a question for you. How many of you have uh, 15 to 20-year-olds in this room? Okay, we'll pray for you. Yes, yeah. We could just kind of breathe a collective sigh of relief. Okay, all right. So you might get this story a little bit better than, than the rest of us with little kids. But, you know, at the same time, there's something incredibly, incredibly unique and special here in Abraham's life. And so here's what happened that just kind of flipped everything on its head. Check out in Genesis 22, verses 1 through 2. It says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Okay, we need a time out here. First God says, you're going to move. And then God says, you're going to have a baby. And now you tell me, I'm going to kill the boy? What? I mean, like, what is God doing here? See, God is literally asking Abraham to take some of this wood, and he's saying, yeah, go gather some wood, collect it, carry it with you, because you're going to bring it, and you're going to place your son, you're going to build an altar, and you're going to place your son on that, and you're going to sacrifice him to me. God is very clear about what he's asking Abraham to do. He's testing Abraham. You know, I see some of you writing notes, and this is, this is exactly the point that God's making. God is testing Abraham. God was seeing how would Abraham respond when things got difficult? How would Abraham respond as he's carrying the wood, doing something crazy like this? You know, can you imagine with me some of the things that had to have been going through Abraham's mind? Some of the very rational questions that you and I would be asking? You know, things like, God... What are you talking about? Don't you know that this is my son? This is the boy that I've been waiting for? I love this kid. God, I've waited a century to hold this kid. And now you want to rip him away from me? What's wrong with you? God, I listened. I moved. We had that baby. 
And now you want me to kill the boy? Uh Uh-uh. No way. I'm done with this wood. Can you imagine? Like, think about this. God was asking Abraham to take a knife in his hands and to do the unthinkable. I mean, we need to be honest here. I think of my son Noah. He's eight years old. And I got to tell you, I could never do that. I could never put my son, I could never bind him with some rope and put him on an altar. A timeout chair? Yes. An altar? No. I mean, like, think about it. What if God came to you and he was like, I want you to give up your kid. Or I want you to give up that thing that is so invaluable to you. That item that you can never go replace. You know, what would you do? These are the things that are precious. They're irreplaceable. They're invaluable. And that's the crossroad moment that Abraham had. And, and you know what? In some small way, I've been there. I've been there. I know what it's like to feel, feel something that is so precious to you, that's so invaluable, be taken away from you. You know, when we were back on the ferry, that wasn't the last time that I ever screamed at my dad. Um, in, in 2004, my dad started to show signs that his health wasn't great. And um, he wasn't sleeping well, and he was beginning to have trouble putting his thoughts together. And so obviously this raised, you know, several alarms. You know, this was a position in my life where I was, I was growing up. I was, uh, I was 21, I was newly married, and I was just starting out as a pastor in a local church. It was my first full-time position, and I needed my dad's voice in my life. And so we began to investigate this, like, what is this? What's happening to him? And so we thought, you know, you know maybe this is like a series of TIAs, like some miniature strokes that are affecting his brain the way that he's thinking and processing. Or, or maybe it's just kind of like dementia, But after countless doctor visits and sleep tests and all these things, it was determined that my dad had early onset Alzheimer's. And I was left thinking, like, how could this be? It's not supposed to be this way. He wasn't supposed to be getting sick. That's not the way the game of life is played. He was 54, and he was in the prime of his ministry career. You know, we just read that Abraham and Sarah had a baby at 100 years old. And here's my dad at 54, finding that life is going to be actually quite difficult. You know, he was successfully leading a church in the suburbs of Philly. He was a faithful husband, a loving dad. He was a pastor of 25 years, and he was one of my best friends. I can tell you that the course of my life has forever been changed because of the way that this man loved Jesus and the way that he loved me and my family. I'd been praying along with countless other people that this would change, that God would just heal him, that, he would, that this sickness, this illness would be taken from him. And uh, I'll never forget uh, one night in the fall of 2005, when that little flicker of hope, that candle that I was looking at way off in the distance, got extinguished. And we realized that there was no turning back. There wasn't going to be any way to make this better. He wasn't going to recover. 
I'll never forget the phone call I had with my dad. Um, I called him up and I told him that I was angry with God. I said, how can God allow this to happen? You know, how can a good God bring this into our lives? I was screaming into the phone. You know, why is God doing this? And all the while, I had just these red, hot, angry tears streaming down my face. These were angry tears. They were painful tears. They were ugly tears. Have you ever cried so hard that your eyes just literally hurt? I remember laying on that bed, closing my eyes because my eyes hurt. I just couldn't even keep my eyelids open. And I was crying so hard, and I was just waiting to wake up from this nightmare. But I never did. After hanging up from the phone, I just lost it. Because as, as, I was, as I was questioning why God would allow this to happen, my dad quietly but firmly interrupted me and said, I don't know, Peter, but I know that God is good and that it's going to be okay. God is good. It's going to be okay. What are you talking about? At that moment, every bit of emotion I had was being ripped through my body. I, I was beating the pillow next to me, so angry, so frustrated, so filled with emotions. I knew that at that time, that the arms that were always there to guide me and to hold me were slowly going to be ripped away from me. That the voice that I was so used to listening to was just going to fade away. You know, what would I do? How would I respond to a God who brought this kind of tragedy into my life? You know, it makes me think of Abraham, though, right? I mean, at least in my situation, all I had to do was endure the pain. Abraham had to be the one to cause the pain. What kind of tragedy would that be? Abraham had to have asked himself the same question. You know, how would he respond to a God who brought this horror into his life? Let's look back in Genesis chapter 22. It says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood and the, for the burnt offering, and he placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. You know, Abraham, he prepared for the journey. It says he woke up early the next morning, and he went out, and he, he gathered the wood. Can you imagine walking around? Picking up the wood, knowing that every piece you picked up was going to be one step closer to putting your son on that altar, one step closer to when you would extinguish your son's life. I mean, dads, can you even imagine? See, I don't know about you. But when my wife Tiffany asks me to do things I don't want to do, I find a million other things to do in that exact moment. 
And you know what? She's never asked me to do anything crazy like this. Like, I'm a world-class procrastinator. How many other procrastinators are out there? Raise your hand. Oh, you're going to do it later? Great. Thanks. (laughs) Don't judge me. So in my house, right by my front door, there are three picture frames. It has my three kids in it, Noah, Grace, and Leah. They happen to be in the wrong format. And so she's asked me very politely, very kindly, for two months to move those picture frames. And every time she asks me to do that, I'm like, oh, babe, I'd really love to, but I need to change the oil in the cars. Um, I'm really sorry, but I need to go mow the lawn. And I I just find a way not to do something that I don't want to do. And she's asking me to move three nails. I don't want to do that. What does Abraham do? Abraham wakes up early. He goes out and he prepares. You know, he set out and he packed for the journey. He prepped, he cut the wood, he grabbed the knife, and he went out. He went off. You know, in Genesis chapter 22, it keeps on and it says that as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and he said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. You know, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? You know, he's a smart kid. He's going, uh, I see that something's not adding up here. Abraham answers and he said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. You know, when faced with the difficult question, Abraham leaned into the promise that God had given him. You know, this was, this was the promise that God gave him when he was lying under the stars and he was hoping and praying for a kid. This was the promise that God said to him when he said, out of, out of your offspring, a nation will be born. A multitude of nations will be born. So when they arrived at that place that God had shown him, why would, why would Abraham begin to doubt God now? Well, but God had said, you're going to kill the boy, right? How can that make sense? I mean, that's, that's pretty messed up. But look at verse 10 with me. Verse 10 says, Then, then he reached out his hand, And he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. See, Abraham obeyed God. Abraham packed the wood and he packed the knife and he got to the altar, the place where where he built that. He laid the wood down and he bound his son and put him on top. And then he raised his arm way up in the air. He was ready to do the unthinkable. And in the last second, in the very last instance, God called out and said, Abraham, stop. I can't let you do that. Abraham was willing to offer up every source of finite security in his life. He went to the altar with complete obedience. See, God calls many of us to uh, to lay something down on the altar. God calls many of us, he gives us, he births something deep inside of us and says, I want you to give that up. I want you to stop doing that thing and I want you to turn towards me. I want, you to do, I want you to do this. 
You know, I, I don't know what it is for you, but I have a friend in Nutley right now. I just sat down for coffee with him last week, and he began to tell me about his relationship with his girlfriend. And he said, you know, Peter, um, I got to be honest with you. Right now, things with my girlfriend are just, they're not, they're not great. In fact, I don't really know what I should be doing. I, I think I do, but I'm not sure. Can you help me? I said, sure. What's going on? He said, well, you know, we don't share the same values. We don't share the same set of, of beliefs, and she doesn't believe in God. And, uh, you know, recently, it kind of started like this, where one night she slept over, and, and then it just began to be a landslide, and all of a sudden, like, we started planning on her sleeping over. Now, we haven't had sex, we haven't done anything like that, you know, but I just need to know, like, is it okay? Like, what should I do with this relationship? And I said, um, Dude, you know, I mean, you know what God's asking you to do. You know what God wants for us in a, in a relationship between a man and a woman. And he said, I do. But Peter, I'm, I'm single. I'm lonely. Like, I don't know. Like, I just don't know. Are there, if there's, are there other girls out there that I'll, that I'll find? And I said, you know, you have a choice to make. You can either reach in your back pocket and pull out one of these guys, just a plastic knife, or we can pull out one of these See, there are times in our life when God asks us to sacrifice something. And our obedience is often not like Abraham's. You know, our obedience often has some strings attached to it. Very often it's easy for us, you know, to to pull out these plastic knives. You know, God may be asking, you know, one of us or to, to sacrifice some like some relationships, to say, you know what, that's not the best relationship for you. You need to you need to kind of put that on hold. And some of us would say, well, God, wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I'll do anything you ask, so long as it doesn't impact my social life. I mean, me and the boys, we like to go and, you know, kick back some cold ones at the bar. Or God, I'll, I'll give whatever you want me to give, so long as it doesn't impede on my, you know, on my, my, uh, my financial comfort or, you know, just the way that I like to live my life. God, I'll, I'll definitely do whatever you ask. But don't disrupt my security. See, some of us are busting out these little plastic knives, these little knives that are, are safe enough that they don't hurt us. But they're just weak enough that when God asks us to do something, they're done. See, Abraham didn't mess around with plastic cutlery. He was fully obedient, and he was ready for the pain that his obedience would cause. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19 says this. It says that Abraham expected Isaac to be resurrected. Let's look together. In verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. See, his faith in God's everlasting promise to make a nation out of his offspring was so strong that he was willing to suffer the pain of putting his son to death. He knew that God could provide life again. You know, Abraham took with him two very important things. He took with him real wood and a real knife. See, at his crossroads, he chose to trust God with everything that was near and dear to his heart. So how about you? 
You know, where have you been tempted to bust out some plastic knives and cop out of what God's really asking you to do? You know, for me, my plastic knife experience was in the fall of 2006. My dad was ultimately diagnosed with Lewy body's disease, uh, which is a cross between Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. And so that caused his memory to fade, and uh, you know, the, his, his body began to atrophy. And it was an incredibly difficult journey for me to walk. I remember watching, um, I remember watching as my dad, uh, who was a, a handyman in his own right, he taught me how to use a saw and swing a hammer. He was no longer able to use a, a simple screwdriver. I remember as the conversations that we had, which used to be deep and meaningful and profound, they began to become more shallow and often weather-related. These were the types of things that left me reeling in pain. My dad passed away in September of 2008. It was roughly four years after we found out that he was first diagnosed. And those have been the hardest days of my life. Here I was, a young man. I was a new father, a new husband, and I was losing my dad. See, that's not how it's supposed to work. I was supposed to have my dad for years to come. I was incredibly afraid to be left alone. As a kid, I screamed, Daddy, don't let me go. And for 26 years, he never did. He was there to faithfully guide me, faithfully love me, to to instruct me, to laugh with me, to share wisdom with me. And now he was gone. My head was spinning with questions like, you know, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why my dad? He'd given his life faithfully to follow you and to love people. God, will this happen to me? Will I leave my son early? What am I going to do now? Who can I rely on to help me through the difficult times? See, God and I were at a crossroads. Having grown up in the church, having been a pastor's son, having gone to Bible college, and having been a pastor for several years myself, I knew what the answers were. I knew how to fill in the blanks. I knew what the Sunday school answer was. I knew what I would tell you if you sat across the table from me and you shared your story with me. But I needed more than just to know it. I needed to feel it. I needed to convince my heart that God was good even when it hurt. My head and my heart didn't agree. And these questions of mine left me feeling angry and bitter and short-tempered. And we were at a crossroads. I could choose to turn my back on God and I could be angry, cynical, and bitter. Or I could trust that God was good and that I could believe the words of my dad that he, it was, he was good and we could trust him and that it was going to be okay. You know, Rory Sutherland uh, said in a recent TED talk that the circumstances of our lives actually matter less than the sense of control that we feel over them. So who's in control of your life? You know, we can choose to rely on our own ability and our own strengths and natural gifting, or we can choose to trust God that he will be the one that can control our lives and control the outcome of our lives. And the choice is yours. Another way of saying this is, who are you trusting with your life? See, ultimately, I chose to trust God. I chose that every day 
I would wake up and I would choose to trust that God is good and that it was going to be okay. I choose to believe that God will never leave me and never forsake me. But the choice is yours. Who are you trusting with your life? You or God? You know, I'm not alone in this, in this journey. This isn't a unique story. I know that there are some of you sitting here right now who, as I've been talking and sharing, that you're, you're thinking through some story. You're replaying it over and over in your head, and that's exactly where I am. And you would say that this is my situation, and this is my biggest fear. And I would ask you, you know, at your crossroads, it begs the question, which way will you go? See, fear reveals our lack of trust. I get it. Some of you are asking, can I dare trust God with this situation? And I would tell you, to trust God in the present, watch him in the past. Do you know why Abraham trusted God and he was able to do that? Remember Hebrews eleven seventeen. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. Abraham believed that God was trustworthy and that he had pr- what he had promised would happen. He believed it so much that even if Isaac were to go and to die, that God could bring him back from the dead. Abraham's whole story, it makes me think of another story, of a father who placed wood on the shoulders of his son, his only son. And this time, it was God the Father. And the only son was his son, Jesus Christ. And the wood that Jesus carried on his shoulders was a part of a Roman cross. And while Jesus hung on that cross, he screamed, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or Daddy, don't let go. But on the cross, the knife of God's judgment, it went up. Just like in Abraham and Isaac, He raised his knife to take out his only son. And God's hand was raised this time. But instead of of stopping him, instead of stopping him, God let the knife fall. He didn't hold back. He let his son go so that he could hold you. See, this time there was no ram in the thicket. There was no substitution. In fact, he was the substitution. See, if anybody deserved to be on this wood, it was you and it was me. It, it's, it's me for all of the times that I've, I've said, God, I've got this on my own. I don't need you in my life. For all of the times that I've made decisions that, that when God looks at them, that, that he's not pleased with them. For all of the times that I've just spit in God's face and said, forget you. I'm doing it on my own. See, I'm the one that screwed it up. We're the ones that have turned our back on God. And some of you are standing at a crossroads in your journey of faith right now. And you're looking at your situation and you're saying, I I don't know if I can do this anymore. It's too much for me. And and see, we pull out of all these all these knives in our back pocket and say, Well, I could do I could do this. This could this would be easier. God, you really you really can't mean it. And God's saying, No, I do. God's inviting us to just come to him and say, God, I can't do it on my own anymore. And he's saying, just let him go. Let him go. 
See, God is saying, who are you trusting with your life? Will you trust me? See, today I would love to invite every single one of us just to close our eyes and just to have this moment with God. Let's bow our heads because this is an opportunity for you to just be real with God. See, right now, I don't know what, how you came in or what's on your mind today, but chances are that we walked in holding some of these plastic knives. Chances are we've been kind of flirting with God and figuring out who he is in our life. And today I want to invite you to trust God because, because God allowed that knife to fall. He gave, he gave you his son, Jesus. God is inviting you to give your whole life to him. See, the blood of Jesus Christ was poured out so that we can know God, so that you can trust God. And see, today, maybe, that's, maybe this is a moment where you're saying, God, I, I can't do it on my own anymore. I've been trying for years and years and years. But today, I'm taking a stand. Today's going to be the day, God, where I decide to give all of me to you because you gave everything to me. And so if that's you, if you're in that place where you're saying, I've never placed my faith, I have never trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior before, I would invite you to quietly in your own heart say something like this, God, I need someone bigger than me. I'm scared. And I trust you. I believe that you allowed Jesus Christ to die on the cross so that I could be held by you. And today, I place my faith and my trust in you. I give you my fears. And I choose to trust. If that's you this morning, would you take a stand would you literally stand up right now where you are and say, Jesus, I trust you. No one's looking around. This is a moment between you and God. Praise God. Praise God for you. Because today is the day, for the first time in your life, you said, I'm, I'm going to trust God with everything I have that Jesus Christ alone is my Lord and Savior. We rejoice with you. And guys, this morning, I just want to pray for you. Stay standing right where you are. God, I thank you for, for your son, Jesus. I thank you for the fact that you let him go so you could hold us. And God, this morning, we rejoice with our brothers and sisters as they are placing their faith in you for the first time. And Father God, we trust you with our yesterdays, with our todays, and with our tomorrows, because you are a good God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.